Hello. Thank you for listening to the second episode of Leading Questions, our podcast series where we are sharing insights on the issues which we are talking about within our litigation, arbitration and investigations team here at Linklaters, as well as picking up on the legal news headlines which are particularly relevant to those who are navigating contentious legal risk. I'm Krista Band, and in today's episode, I'm joined by some of my colleagues where we're going to discuss the Supreme Court's recent refusal in Philip and Barclays Bank to extend the quince care duty in APP fraud cases. Secondly, the recent Client Earth and Shell climate-related derivative action case, which has been making headlines in both the legal and indeed the national press. And then the latest data privacy class action claim, which has been struck out by the High Court. Mike Monk and I are going to start off talking about the quince care litigation. Over to you, Mike. Sure, thanks, Krista. So in this case, the claimant, Mrs Phillip, and her husband were victims of an authorised push payment, or APP fraud. APP fraud is where the customer is tricked into transferring money from their account to another account controlled by a fraudster. In this case, Barclays telephoned Mrs. Phillip before each transfer to confirm that she had made the transfer request and that she wished to proceed. Each time, Mrs. Phillip confirmed her instructions. Barclays made the payments totaling £700,000 and the money was stolen. The question in these cases where the money can't be recovered is who should bear the loss, the customer or the bank? Mrs. Phillip claimed it was the bank. She argued that she was owed what is known as a quincecare duty. The effect of this is that the bank should not carry out a customer's payment instructions if it has reasonable grounds for believing the customer is being defrauded and that the payment instructions are not genuine. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, Mike? Because here, Mrs. Phillip needed an extension of the quince care duty to make the bank bear the loss, and that's why this ended up in the Supreme Court. Until the Court of Appeals decision in this case, the quince care duty focused on instructions given by the customer's agent rather than by the customer herself. And the counterbalancing point, of course, is that it's a serious business for a bank to decline to make a payment which a customer has instructed it to make. That's right. So the, the question for the Supreme Court here was whether the quince care duty also works to protect a customer, whereas the customer themselves giving the instruction rather than their agent. Ultimately, the Supreme Court held in favour of the bank. If the account is in credit, the customer's payment instructions have to be followed. Yeah, look, it's hard not to have some sympathy with Mrs. Phillip here, as APP fraudsters get more and more convincing and sophisticated. But it's got to be right, hasn't it, as the Supreme Court recognised, that the bank can't really concern itself with the wisdom or the risks of a customer's own payment decisions. This is really a strict application of contractual principles. The customer instructs the bank as to the operation of the account, and subject to very limited exceptions, the bank has to comply. That is the beginning and the end of the issue. Mrs. Phillip obviously thought she was instructing the payments for a purpose which suited rather than damaged her interests, but she nonetheless undoubtedly gave the payment instructions. Yeah, because if an agent is involved in giving instructions, the position is just more complicated. 
That situation means looking at the actual and the apparent authority of the agent, again, on ordinary contractual principles. It's in circumstances that the bank should have realized that the instructions might not be genuine, that it becomes unable to rely on the agent's apparent authority. And in those circumstances, it can't debit the customer's account and any payments are made with the bank's own money. There's an interesting example of the Quince Care duty being litigated in the recent case of the Federal Republic of Nigeria and JP Morgan. This was a long running and complex fraud dispute with facts to match. The court held in that case in favour of the bank, noting that for these purposes, the focus must be on whether the bank should have been alert to the fact that the particular payment instruction was unauthorised by the account holder. It's not about wider potential concerns, such as historic money laundering or financial crime risks. Yeah, and just to note, um, to wrap up on this, that the FCA's new consumer duty, which is effective from the end of July this year, includes what is known as the cross-cutting rule, that a firm must avoid causing foreseeable harm to retail customers. And the FCA's guidance on this notes that firms are not required to prevent an insistent customer from making decisions or acting in a way that the firm considers to be against their interests. As a matter of practice, of course, as we all know, banks have invested really heavily in their anti-fraud measures and also in the information which they provide customers as to how fraudsters operate and what to look out for. Hi everyone, I'm Rebecca Burton, a Managing Associate in the LAI team at Linklaters and I'm joined by Faye Presland. We're going to discuss the ever-evolving area of climate change litigation, specifically to recent derivative action decisions. So Faye, do you want to get us started? Sure, Rebecca. So the headline-grabbing case that listeners may have heard about is Klein Earth and Shell, which involves allegations that directors of Shell breached their statutory duties by failing to adopt and implement an energy transition strategy aligned with the Paris Agreement. The recent judgment was concerned with the preliminary question of whether Klein Earth had established a threshold case of breach of duty. Yes, exactly, that's right. Um, and Client Earth had a small shareholding in Shell and was using a special statutory regime known as a derivative action to challenge the directors of Shell um, rather than just challenging Shell as a company. The case was dismissed on the papers earlier this year uh, by the High Court. Um, and again, they, they said yeah, no threshold case of breach of duty had been established. That decision, however, was reconsidered at an oral hearing in June. Uh, and Mr Justice Trower, who's the judge who heard the case the first time, again dismissed that, that claim. Um, and in doing so, he made clear that the UK courts are very reluctant to interfere in directors' management and commercial decisions, particularly where there are multiple factors that are going to need to be considered for those decisions, um, and where climate risk is just, is just one consideration. The court was also keen, I think, not to see the derivative action route being used to advance a particular policy agenda when it was not clear that that policy agenda actually had the support of significant shareholders or the vast majority of shareholders. Um, so that was one decision, uh, but Faye, there is another one slightly different, so can you tell us a bit about that one too? Of course. So the Court of Appeal recently dismissed the claim by members of a pension scheme against directors of a corporate trustee, which alleged breach of duties for failing to properly consider climate change in investment decisions and implement a policy of divestment. Because the scheme members were not shareholders, they used a slightly different regime to the one referred to in the Client Earth case. 
The Court of Appeal held, agreeing with the first instance judge, that the pension members have failed to show that the company had suffered loss or that they themselves have suffered any loss connected with the breaches they were alleging. And they had also failed to show any improper conduct by or benefit to the directors, or that a prima facie case for breach of duty existed. Thanks, Faye. So what do you think this means for our listeners, given that these cases don't come along very often, and now we've had two decisions in quite quick succession um, that don't seem to have had a sort of a very positive outcome for the claimants? Well, taken together, I think they indicate the UK courts are reluctant to interfere in directors' management and commercial decisions, and that there's a very high threshold to overcome to get climate-based derivative actions off the ground. Nonetheless, such actions, even with low prospects of success, attract significant publicity and scrutiny, which can divert management time and attention, as well as serve NGOs' campaigning goals. Thank you, Rebecca and Faye. I'm Ellie Parkhouse, a counsel in the LAI team, and I'm joined by Sadie Balls. Together, we will cover our final topic today, which considers the latest data privacy representative action against Google, recently dismissed by the High Court. This was a representative claim brought on behalf of 1.6 million claimants against Google and DeepMind, an AI firm in the Google Group. The claim was for loss of control damages in the tort of misuse of private information. The underlying facts concerned patients' medical records, which were transferred to the defendants for the development and testing of an app. So Sadie, can you tell us a bit more? Well, importantly for context, we need to remember two things. Firstly, the Supreme Court in Lloyd and Google recently found that compensation cannot be awarded for loss of control of data in representative actions without evidence of damage or distress. And secondly, to bring the representative action pursuant to CPR 19.8, the 1.6 million claimants must share the same interest. So, to satisfy the same interest criterion, the claimants brought their claim based on the lowest common denominator of circumstances. The defendants applied to strike out the claim on the basis that, fatally, the claimants had no real prospect of establishing that the tort was committed against all members of the class, and that even if a lowest common denominator approach is permissible, this doesn't assist as it cannot be said that any claimant has a viable claim for more than trivial damages. Okay, so here lies the tension then. Reducing the claim to the lowest common denominator in an attempt to satisfy the CPR same interest test runs the risk that when properly analysed, the claim is found to have no prospect of success? That's right, Ellie. The court striking out the claim and entering summary judgment for the defendants concluded that not every claimant had a realistic prospect of establishing a reasonable expectation of privacy in respect of their relevant medical records or of crossing the de minimis threshold in relation to such an expectation. So by removing an individualised assessment and reducing the claim to the lowest common denominator to satisfy the same interest test, the claim was bound to fail. As to the loss of control, Mrs Justice Heather Williams called the data that was transferred anodyne in nature, and because of a range of factors, including that the information was already in the public domain, was held securely, and was not accessed by anyone during the storage period, she found that the transfer had caused no impact other than the loss of control itself. Accordingly, the class members did not have a viable claim for more than trivial damages for loss of control of their information. Thank you, Sadie. So along with the Lloyd decision then, this case is significant in terms of what it means for representative actions under the same interest test of CPR 19.8. It shows that claimants face real challenges in bringing group claims for breaches of data privacy 
and that the court is willing to terminate proceedings at an early stage, before substantive costs are incurred, where claimants fail to meet the relevant minimum thresholds. No doubt, providing comfort to defendants. So that wraps up this edition. Thank you for listening. You can get more information on all of the topics that we've covered today on our online publications and our blog posts. But please reach out to us if you've got any questions um, or would like to talk further on any of the topics that we've covered. Mm -hmm.